Hi, welcome everyone to another episode of The Fix. I am your host, Ryan Rothstein. Episode 9, Season 1. Thank you once again for tuning in. If you're a listener that's already listened to a few episodes, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast, whether that's on Apple, Spotify, whatever platform you may be using. Subscribe, rate, leave a review. If you're a new first-time listener, welcome. Thank you very much for tuning in and giving me a few minutes of your time. Subscribe, rate, leave a review as well. Try and bring different types of episodes each and every one. Some may be sports gambling focused with an expert in that industry. Others might be Eagles or Sixers focused with an expert who covers the team. Some might just be a thought that I have on my own and doing a show solo. So I try and bring a lot of different viewpoints and different types of content to each and every episode. So thank you. Stick with me. I promise the fix will only continue to get better and grow. On this episode of The Fix, I have a good friend of mine, Aton Shander from SB Nation Radio, Fox Sports Gambler, Fox 29, Philadelphia. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at Shander Show. He's a great follow. Uh, long time in this industry, very entertaining and a lot of fun to talk to. So I got him for episode nine of The Fix. I'm going to ask him about what he's been doing to stay busy during quarantine. I'm going to talk about The Last Dance and the goats from the 90s in sports and TV and music and other things like that. I'm going to ask him about the Eagles and what his thoughts were on the Jalen Hurts pick at 53 in round two. All that and much more right here. So without further ado, let's waste no more time. Here's my guy, Aton Shander. He's busy as hell, but I found a way to track him down. Let's go. I mean, Aton, the amount of stuff that this guy has, I can't even start to try and plug everything he's got going on, but Listen, brother, I appreciate your time. Thanks for uh, coming on with me. Oh, come on, brother. I'm happy to. And uh, you'd be surprised. It's, it's not as busy as it seems. I think a lot of it is just I hammer people over the head with social media postings. Hey, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this to create the illusion that I'm everywhere. But you'd be it's surprised how much mirrors. downtime. Absolutely. That's that's how I live my life, man. Smoke and mirrors. <laughs> well, listen, I need to learn how to, you know, create the smoke and mirrors that you're creating because. You're doing your thing. So Aton Shander is with me. I worked with him for a while on 97.3 ESPN South Jersey. He's now everywhere, like we said. I mean, Aton, try and plug everything you got well, going on. SB Nation, go ahead. SB Nation Radio, 11 to 1, and then that's Monday through Friday. And then Monday through Wednesday, I do 6 to 8 Eastern on Fox Sports Radio, The Gambler. So that's in Philly, iHeartRadio. I have... A weekend show on SB Nation Radio as well. It's 69 Eastern, so that's Saturday and Sunday, uh, which is separate from the weekday show. And I have a column every week, Philly Voice, that comes out Tuesday. And every now and again, you know, you see me pop up now on my webcam on Fox 29. But that's that's <laughs> it. I promise. That's it. <laughs> All right. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, I'm not believing that promise. For now, at least. Yeah, for, for right this second. So. Let's get right into some of that stuff. And what I want to start with you, Aton, is what I just briefly mentioned before we started recording. The quarantine and the, and the pandemic and everything that's been going on in the world, it's been tough. I mean, you're doing everything from home, even though you do that a lot anyway. Um, but everyone's working from home. It's a weird time. 
how have you been getting creative in your content and what have you noticed from observing other companies and personalities and what they're doing with their content during the pandemic? Honestly, I think the biggest thing you get is where you and I were, and, and it's a credit to Mike Gill, who runs 97.3, where I've been on SB Nation Radio for a while, where it's a credit to Craig Larson, the program director there. I think what you're getting is just by force, because of what's happening with the pandemic, a lot of stations, a lot of programmers are loosening up what people can talk about, right? Because it's like, oh, you know, you're not going to break down Korean baseball for three months. So just talk about and just make it compelling. If you're going to talk about TV, if you're going to talk about food, if you're going to bring back anything from, you know, a, a crazy throwaway show in the summer, whatever it is, just make it compelling. Just make it somewhat entertaining. And I think that's probably the biggest difference is looking at how flexible and not everybody is doing it. And to be fair, Ryan, I don't think that everybody should be doing it, right? And I've had the pleasure of working with you guys, and I feel like there were plenty of shows this before I started doing the midday show there. But when I was with you and Mike, there were plenty of days in which a 25, 30, 40 minutes of an hour could be dedicated to the majority of it not being sports because we're talking about something completely different and it's crazy. But I do feel like there are people that are hosting where they're very rigid and that's all. Hey, let's talk Eagles for four hours or let's talk LeBron versus MJ for four hours. I think those are the people that are being forced into it, of course, because of the pandemic. But those are the people that are forced having to shift. For those of us who have already been doing it, it's not that big of a change. Exactly. Yeah. And that's that's a good point. And that's something that I've only really been in my I, I can't even really call it a career. I'll call it a career. I've only been with 97.3 where you've had the experience of being in certain places where talk about Nick Foles versus Carson Wentz. And that's the only thing you can talk about. And what makes you you, Aton, is. I mean, I have friends down here that listen to you and everyone that listens to you and follows you. You do all of this stuff no matter what, whether it's pandemic, quarantine or not, you're entertaining and you're not entertaining from a who should be the starting quarterback aspect. And I think that's what really separates you. So I'm sure you're thriving in this time right now. No? Well, I, listen, listen, man, I first off, I appreciate that. Thank you. And, and thank you to anybody who stuck through 10 minutes of my show, let alone years of it. <laughs> But I, I do think that it's been a struggle at times. One of the best programmers I ever worked for was Matt Nahagan in 97.5, right at the Fanatic. And this is before Beasley Media fired him and eventually fired me. But I loved working for Nahagan for two reasons. One, because I could go to him with a suggestion or I could go to him for advice not just from a programming standpoint, but from a show standpoint. Hey, Matt, what do you think about fill in the blank topic? And I could vet a topic out with my boss. And as much as you and others, like you have a guy in Gill who you can do that. And it's great because Mike is not only a programmer, but he's also a host. But I got to be honest, that's rare. That in this yeah. business is rare to be able to go up to your program director and vet a topic out like that. Sometimes your program director thinks it's beneath them. Other times the program director may not know anything about sports and is there, you know, from a radio <laughs> tactics standpoint. So that was one of the best things 
that I ever had working for a program. Steve Torrey and Mad Dog Radio was another guy that like that where, you know, hey, dog, this you guys and dog are doing this. You know, what do you think? But the other part of it, and this was one of the most frustrating parts of working with Matt Nahagan. And look, I can't fault him because he had data and they had stuff and science studies right down to the minute in which people were listening. I always looked at that kind of like a poll where if you poll a thousand people to try to get how 330 million people feel, it's going to become problematic at some point. But the point of it was, Ryan, that there were plenty of times in which he would show on radio and show with a beeper or show with whoever had you know a means of of putting together the the metrics, if you will, of who's listening and say, oh, you guys talked about food for too long. Or you talked about something non-sport. You should have brought it back. That's where the whole let's get it back to the Eagles came from <laughs> because Nahagan was drilling Rob Ellis. Let's get it back to the Eagles. Let's get it back to the Eagles. So I, I think that's even in, in the best situation that I had, that's where that summer of me and I think it was Harry for the most part I was working with where I had to come up every single day with a new way to repackage the question, would you do the deal for Marcus Mariota? And <laughs> honestly, brother, it was exhausting. It was exhausting because no, it's terrible. And, you know, I, I, I felt like imagine. it was a disservice to the audience. And that's another thing is, is where I get the need to take calls, especially in Philadelphia and all that. It's not some big picture conversation I, I wanted to get into, but I was just thinking from that specific example of me going through a summer and just doing the same show but repackaging it the difference would have been me going through a boring summer and re-watching the wire while having people weigh in on that which i also did but that didn't go over as well from a programming standpoint as hammering do the deal do the deal do the deal so you never get a perfect scenario i guess is the point of no this. no yeah it's it's valid and i have a lot to get to with you but i do want to I'm going to drag this part of our convo out just for one more second, because I think it's really interesting. Like my family's all from South Philly, Northeast Philadelphia. My dad's been, you know, WIP guy since he was 10 years old, you know, however it's been that the stereotypical Philly guy. And you even get people down here, Aton, down here being South Jersey. Ah, you guys should take more calls. Like there's people that grew up in Philly that are just, they all they want to hear on their sports radio is a caller yelling at the host about what Carson Wentz did wrong the previous week. Right. But like, I still feel like there's people stuck in those ways. And then there's a ton of other people yearning for content in different fashions. Absolutely. That it makes, makes sense. total sense. <laughs> and, and I think for me, the extreme is always all right. And this is what happened towards the end of my time at the Fanatic that I did that I just vehemently from a philosophical standpoint disagreed with, which is we were told to take more and more and more calls. That was the way to mm -hmm. beat WIP. But the problem is you can't expect like you actually have to. I know this sounds crazy because you're thinking, well, it's a top five, top eight market. Well, why would you need to do this? But if you want people to be able to take call after call and it not sound like you're just jockeying like, desperate for phone calls, you really need to train people. You need to train people in how to present a topic. You need to train people in how to bait callers. You need to train. And now what you're getting into is tactic and technique. It's not even like microphone technique as far as setting a show up or teasing.
looking at tees, going into break, mechanical stuff. It's how can you fool people? And that's what the biggest problem I had, man, was I'm basically yeah. being forced to go into this thing and fool people and try and bait them into call, not lying, but all right, what's what's the biggest? And this is what people do. And, and I don't care who you are. If you're working in Philadelphia on the radio, you're doing this before every show, which is all right. What what can I bring up that will get people to call? And then if you're good at it, you're thinking, what's the most contrarian slash outlandish opinion that I actually believe that I can bring up and do on the radio? Because that's going to get people to call. And how unfortunate of an end game scenario is that where all you're trying to do is just show up to the radio station and get people to call in. And as you said, you put it perfectly, man, which is it's just to get people to yell. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You're an idiot. Ah, you nit- right. <laughs> it's crazy, man. And, and and it's interesting stuff. And you've just, you have the experience and knowledge to kind of look at those things in multiple different lenses, I should say. So Aton Shander's with me, SB Nation Radio, 11 to 1, 6 to 9, Saturday, Sunday, Fox Gambler, 6 to 8, Monday, Wednesday, Philly Voice, Fox 29. Follow him on Twitter at shander show so let's let's not try and fool anyone i'm not trying to do no 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 it's it's all All for people taking calls up in philly that's all (laughs) yeah no i know um i want to get to some honestly some topics i saw on your twitter feed and you are legitimately a great follow on twitter so tv shows and during this time in the quarantine you know tiger king was king for a while and now we have the last dance the michael jordan 10 part documentary uh, that's taking place here every Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. And last night we got to see a little bit of a clip of Jerry Seinfeld going into the locker room and having a little exchange with Jordan. And you tweeted out a few interesting things from that. So I want your thoughts, Aton Chander. Were the 90s dominated? When you look back at the goats of the 90s, is it Michael Jordan for the athlete? Is it the Bulls for the team? And if you're thinking TV, music, and movies, is Jerry Seinfeld and Seinfeld the goat of TV for the 90s? Oh, he has to be. I'm trying to think. Uh, well, let's look at this. What would be the Simpsons? most popular? Okay, but are you talking about a person or are you talking about a TV show? I think they, I think they have to be separated. Right. I like Jordan could be the athlete of the 90s, but maybe the Bulls aren't just to put it into perspective. I'm not saying that's no, the Bulls have to be. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I think feel like Jordan and the Bulls. But I guess the difference would be with Seinfeld. Are you just talking about the personality or are you talking about his show? I'm talking about this. The show Seinfeld was that show, the GOAT TV show of the 90s. I feel like the show never needed to really take off now it came on 89 it ran the span you know it came off what 98 i think maybe the start of 99 something like that so you're talking about running the decade yeah i I think this is the perfect definition when we talk about baseball players and whether or not they're in the hall of fame what we small room people Look at a decade. Okay, did that person dominate a decade? Did he at least dominate one decade? Can you show me a 10-year period in which that guy was, if not the best at his position, top two, maybe three? Well, forgive two of the 10 years where maybe he was like the third best second baseman or left fielder. I think 
Jerry Seinfeld was that. The show was that. Seinfeld was probably not even appreciated so much back then when it was happening as it is now, the fact that it's everywhere consistently and replaying. So, yeah, I, I do think that Seinfeld was the goat of television shows. Like, Seinfeld would represent the 90s. As far as other shows that it would edge out, it probably would be The Simpsons at the time. But, again, The Simpsons spans for, what, like 30 years right now. So yeah, they're on season what thirty one. Yeah, and I wonder. Pretty sure. If you look at the start of it now, the problem that I have in this is that both shows start at the same time, and really the first nine seasons or so of The Simpsons, you could argue maybe up until ten or eleven, really, but the first nine seasons, tenth season is probably it. Are the true like original simpsons where it was all about political social commentary it was a very smart show and it didn't turn into like a cartoon you just knew it was a cartoon yeah. because you were watching a cartoon outside of that i don't know yeah. what what would constitute the best tv show of the 90s outside of those <sighs> friends yeah i mean friends has to be in there friends fresh fresh prince Fresh yeah, Prince. That's a good one. That's a good one. I mean, when you look at it right now, Aton, like if you look at 2000 to 2010 TV and everything's much different, but what's a show that even stands out now? I mean, Breaking Bad, maybe? Like what's. Well, I mean, what what decade are we talking about? Like, are we talking about 2020 shows that are out right now? Or are we talking about when. I mean, I'm just trying to get other, I guess, classic shows. Like the first 10 years of 2000 to 2010. Right. right. The Wire is, is going to be the one for me because that came out in 02 and that ran five seasons. So The Wire is always going to be number one for me in, in that era, that 2000. Okay. 02, 03, 04. They took two years off. I mean, they, they basically went from 04 to 08 because they took a year off in between the final two seasons. But that would be the show for me that would... Now, I don't know. That's... A TV show that's a drama that's a really thick, detailed drama. I guess you can make an argument for Arrested Development. I mean, Sopranos would probably be in there too. If you're going to put the wire, yeah. you'd have to put the Sopranos in there too because they represent pretty much the the first part of the 2000s. Curb your enthusiasm, right? That has to be in there. Maybe. Yeah, it doesn't have to be. I know. I think no. I, I think no. Absolutely, especially because the longevity of it. I know it went away for a minute. The Office is going to be in there, too. Sure. One of my favorites. I mean, The Office came in in 05, so it got a little bit of a late start. But the first five seasons of The Office, 2005 to 2010, might make up for the last three seasons of the show. Yeah. I mean, once, obviously, Michael left The Office there, it was garbage. But that's still a show that, and now with its success on Netflix, it's almost got, you know, a second life like a lot of these shows are getting now with how we're consuming, uh, you know, all of our products. It's, just, it's interesting stuff. And that stuck out to me last night when you see Jerry Seinfeld in the locker room with Michael Jordan. Yeah. It was just a cool little dynamic. Um, but I, I want to switch gears with you, Shander. And you've been talking more and more about sports gambling. And I know you love your daily fantasy and you love making those bets in the fall or any time of year. And you're somewhat of an expert, I would say, now with how much you talk about it and what you do uh, day to day professionally. So 
how has the sports gambling industry, you think, taken an, a hit over the past month or so? And streaming, simulations, betting on the weather, betting on TV shows. How, how do you think those things can maybe reshape the sports gambling industry? Well, I, I think if you just want to focus on stuff that's going on now that can help open up more sports gambling or really just more betting, open betting, and it doesn't have to be on the open market, global market, you know, essentially illegal, but at reputable legal spots and opening this up as Denver and Colorado, really the state saw this last weekend is now being able to gamble legally there. So I, I think one of the best things you could point to that people are embracing, as you mentioned, the difference of betting on a game and over under or a futures in the NFL versus is Kim Jong, you know, is somebody really dead yeah. or you know, it, when will Disney world reopen things like that on survivor, whatever. Absolutely. Who's the next masked mm -hmm. singer, right? So uh, if you want to combine all of that to where we really are, because I don't know if that's ever going to be truly legal in the next couple of years, but one thing that I would hope people and I think it was West Virginia who kind of ruined it for all of us of by just throwing it up there one day and saying, see, you can bet on a presidential primary. And I think it was actually a Democratic primary, but that's the future. So I feel like if you're going to take one thing out of the pandemic and seeing a need for people continuing to place wagers, sometimes it's sports, sometimes it's just whatever you can find. The next tangible thing that I would love to see a book open up, a physical book in AC, in Philadelphia, in Vegas, in Colorado, wherever, is taking these legal odds on politics. And I think that would be the stretch that would have to start over the next year. And I know that we're already working on that in some areas, but that would be, I think, the next hurdle to clear from a gambling standpoint to where it's socially and legally acceptable to place a wager on who wins more electoral college votes or who wins California or whatever swing state is out there for Biden versus Trump. That's where I think the future, because isn't it logical that there are so many people who follow sports and also vote? Just look at Twitter, right? Yeah. There's plenty of people that will remind you whatever side of the fence they vote on. So if they have a chance to now vote on or pardon me, bet on their favorite politician, like they have a chance to bet on their favorite team, then I think you continue to normalize the practice and you also don't stretch and, and minimize and reduce betting to you know some stupid character on the mass singer. Not to say that you shouldn't be able to bet it. But this thing should really be headlined by sports and now hopefully politics. I'm with you because th this is how sports will be consumed in 10 years, let's say. It's going to be, you're able to make bets live at the Wells Fargo Center on anything that, that you want right there on your phone, in your seat. That's going to be every sporting event. It basically already is there, but it's going to be more wagering options, a larger menu with daily fantasy, over-unders on points, on the game totals, whatever it may be. So you take that and you say, okay, well, there's also a lot of people consuming those presidential debates. There's also a lot of people consuming esports on Twitch. You have hundreds of thousands of people 
live streaming on Twitch. You have people in video game tournaments, millions. And Vegas a month ago, they allowed for one weekend in Vegas, I forget which video game, but Thursday through Sunday, you were able to make bets on a video game tournament that was being live streamed on Twitch. And I think that's the interesting direction that you could see the sports gambling industry expanding towards. Yes. And so what would be the end game here? What would be the result to have everything all encompassing? Basically, anything you consume, you're able to place a wager on. I feel like especially live, right? Wouldn't that be the ultimate just, okay, we've we've got everything. It's one thing to say ahead of time, hey, who's going to win the mass Singer? But to be able to bet on that live as one of these costumes are singing yeah. or watch the election unfold and wait, wait, oh, Pennsylvania went one way, and then all of a sudden, you know, the odds change. So, yeah, I, I think you're right to where it should be a combination of anything and everything you do, you should be able to bet on. On top of that, it should be able to be done live as well. Exactly. And I think yeah, it makes sense. It does, man. And I think those are the things that maybe the sports gambling industry is going to look into because I talked to the head, um, you know, odds maker, Johnny Avello from DraftKings. I had him on the show yeah. like a month ago, and he was saying exactly that, that the pandemic has forced DraftKings and other companies to get creative in what they're providing and the things that maybe they were hesitant on before this, they haven't been so, so hesitant on. So I think that's just an interesting thing to keep an eye on. No, I agree, man. I, I think the one thing I would be interested in to see with DraftKings and FanDuel is if they're able to get into the stock area. And what I mean is if you look at how successful DraftKings and FanDuel were in converting their fantasy players to sports bettors, there really isn't a big leap to convert those same people into stock traders. So if DraftKings and FanDuel were to come out and provide their own analysis on the stock market, you could mm. then be able to take bets or at least be able to provide insight enough and now control that whole L you can just create a draft like E-Trade or these other ones. You can create a DraftKings wing where you're trading stocks. Damn. Yeah. That's a whole nother interesting piece of it that I didn't really ever look at. See, you got to put me in touch with your guys, man. I'm sitting out here with ideas. No, I can't get in touch with anybody. <laughs> Listen, man, they're not going to frozen. I'm not the guy to get you in touch with, with anyone. So well, I'll see what I can do, but you know, you saw DraftKings went public, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's huge. No, that is gigantic. It's I, Listen, I want to get some stock, I think. I mean, how can't you? Right now? Well, no I, yeah, going on. It, it might be too late, though. You know how this stuff works, man. Yeah, I know. You know, we always are the last ones to find out. Somebody <laughs> got rich on that thing before it went public, oh, just like course. with Facebook. You know, everybody got everybody went broke after that. Anytime it's a public uh, IPO, something like that, we're always on the end of it. Yeah, we're screwed. So and if, if it's anything that I'm interested in, stay stay far away from it anyway. Um, Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Talking with Aton Sander, <laughs> man. Um, already almost been like a half hour. I have so much more I want to get into with you, but. Well, let's do it again. Let, yeah, I'll, I'll come on next week, whatever, man. Yeah, I'm man, I'm going to let you go. I just, I have to bother you before I let you go. Go ahead. What, right. I got time. What do, what do you need? I want to know your thoughts on Jalen Hurts. <laughs> come on, bro. Oh, my God. I thought we were going to get away with without doing this. Nope. Sorry. 
right, let me inhale here and mm-hmm. figure this thing out. <laughs> not it, not take... that I'm saying like take a deep breath sure, is what I meant. Sure, sure. sure. So uh, I I feel okay. I'll try to give you my explanation without saying what everybody else said. Here's the here's one of the issues that I don't think is being discussed enough. I don't think Jalen Hurts was bad enough to be forced into this situation, meaning if I were a team that saw an opportunity to draft a young quarterback and grow with that young quarterback, Jalen Hurts would be as good as anybody. He's not going to come in ready made like Joe Burrow or a healthy Tua, but Justin Herbert is not going to start right away either, and he's going to ride the bench. I think I feel like it was almost a disservice to who Jalen Hurts as a quarterback in the NFL can be by drafting him and having him sit on the bench for most likely two years, whereas if a team drafted him to be a starter, maybe not even right this second, but like with Herbert is concerned – I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. If the Chargers drafted Jalen Hurts in the first round on Thursday night instead of Herbert with the same plan, which is to let Hurts sit the bench for a year or so and slowly come into this game with the expectations that next year he's taking over as the starting quarterback, unlike Burrow or a healthy Tua. I think that's more of a representation of who Jalen Hurts can be in the NFL. It seemed like Howie Roseman thought he could make up for a mistake by missing out on Russell Wilson by taking the next Russell Wilson. But here's the thing. At some point, Ryan, you're going to have to figure out and then make a decision. If this kid's the next Russell Wilson, what do you do with Carson Wentz? Are we already going? Are we going to have two years time? Because that's when they can get out of the Wentz deal. Not this year, but after next year. Is that going to be enough time outside of Wentz having a catastrophic injury? Is that going to be enough time for Jalen Hurts to prove that he's Russell Wilson? Probably not. Probably not. No. I mean, is that a fair task for anyone to say, hey, you have two years. You have an elite starter ahead of you, and you have two years to show everyone you're the next great thing. It's just – it's literally impossible. But I like the pick. I like the pick at the time. I still do. If you have an opportunity to go get talent, especially at the quarterback position, especially in this city, on how they won the Super Bowl, the injury history around Carson Wentz, everyone chill the bleep out. And let the Eagles bring this dude in and see what happens. But you're right. Well, remember, they run real quick, Rod. They they won the Super Bowl because they invested money into the backup quarterback position. They brought in a quarterback who had starting time under his belt as the backup. So I'll beat you halfway and say Carson Wentz needs a viable backup. But he needs somebody, in my opinion, I, I don't know if I can count on Jalen Hurts week four of his rookie season if Wentz's ankle twists. It, that's fair. Listen, Hurts might not even be the backup this year. They, they're going to bring in. <laughs> that's true. He might not be. They're going to no, bring you're in right. a veteran, right? Absolutely. Once camp starts, you never know what the hell's going to happen with this team. They may have eight guys throwing the football on the roster come the start of camp. You might be in camp getting some reps in, man. No I, way, I, man. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not so, doing so. anything in public for a long time. Yeah, neither am I. All right. So I, have a, <laughs> I have rapid fire, five questions, and then you're bouncing. All right. So it's just real quick. First answer that comes to mind. These five questions. You ready? Yep. One Jordan sneaker to wear the rest of your life. Oh, I want those Jordan ones. If he could wear those as uncomfortable of a sneaker as those were, if he could ball out in those, give me the Jordan ones, man. Hey, dude, his foot was like bleeding. At how how uncomfortable are those sneakers? They're the worst. You can't walk them and wear them as slippers around the house and he's playing basketball. No, Jordan ones. 
I'm icing my feet after I go out with dinner <laughs> in them, bro. Forget that. All right, question two. Biggie or Tupac? Um, I guess if I have to choose one, I would go with the entity that's Biggie. But I do feel like Tupac told better. Like Tupac had had a bigger influence, had a bigger political influence. Okay. So, so I'll go Biggie, but Tupac, Tupac was assassinated, in my opinion, because of him realizing come and you just look at some of the things he was putting down both in music and, and poetry before he was murdered. Tupac was assassinated because he realized how many people were listening. He has actually said this on in one of his books, his poetry that was then recently or not recently, but since published after his death, where he became self-aware of instead of telling 500 thousand people to 30 million people who buy his stuff and listen to his stuff instead of telling him hey you know i drink alizé or i'm out there doing this i could tell these people who to vote for or i could like he became he became and we're talking about a demographic of the majority of people who listened and they probably didn't even vote at the time this is pre-obama in 2008 to where a demographic almost felt comfortable voting and for decades did not. And Tupac came in well before that, well before a political party did and recognized that he had way more influence than he realized. So that's always the kind of asterisk I put up with Pac, but I would go Biggie overall because of the production elements and everything. Yeah. I I think I would go Biggie as well, but you bring up some, some interesting points that uh, I didn't really think of either. All right. Question number three. Along the music lines, what walk-up song would be your song, Aton Shander, if you were in the MLB? What's your walk-up song to the plate? Oh, that's a great one. I'm going to go Uptown Anthem with <laughs> no, Old School Naughty by Nature because it starts really slow and I could play around with it. Like I could come out of the dugout real slow. Oh, no, I could just, technically you're in the batter's box already, right? I mean, you're in the uh, uh, when, when you have the walk up music, are you coming out of the dugout? Or are you going from the warm up circle beyond deck circle to the batter's from, box? Yeah, you're going from the on deck circle to the batter's box. And it's usually okay. right when you have both feet in the box. That's when they cut the music. So that's what I would do. I'd have a long, leisurely walk for, <laughs> to get that slow part of the piano out. And then as soon as it drops... I would be I time it out so that as soon as it drops, I'd have my first foot in the batter's box, let it ride for a little bit and then put my final foot in there and have them cut it. Perfect. Just just, just to mess needs. with them. Exactly. Just to mess with them. <laughs> All right. Aton Shander coming up to the plate. We're going to go to break. Um, <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> question number four. One person that you could interview dead or alive, sports or not sports. One person. One person. Frederick Nietzsche. Absolutely. Wow. Nietzsche for me. I I feel like, okay. and here's the thing, I was a philosophy major at Gettysburg College, and I only became one my second semester junior year when they basically forced me to declare a major at <laughs> registrar. But the one philosopher who I truly just gravitated towards more so than anybody was Nietzsche. And if you look at a great pop culture comparison, it's the good, it's the best and the worst of Bart Simpson. And that represents truly Nietzsche and and the 
best and worst of who we are and our society. And so many, like a lot of times since Bart will come off as like, you know, a snot nosed little, you know, troublemaker. But the reality is, is questions being raised and satire and kind of bucking the establishment, if you will, comes from somebody like that, not from somebody who just stands up and, and leads. And that's where, you know, speaking truth to power and things along those lines come from. So I feel like a lot of Nietzsche's philosophy has outside, of course, of when, you know, like people who were running or, or I'll stay away from that outside <laughs> of a couple of small examples. I feel like a lot of what he wrote holds up because it's always about self-empowerment and it's always about, you know, rising up and speaking truth to power. But there's also this kind of nah, like almost haterade in him as well where nothing is going to impress him. You know, oh, man, like Nietzsche's the guy now where if you go to him and say, oh, my God, you know, the, fill in the play. You got to watch Tiger King or you have to watch. Well, the last dance is probably the best. The last dance. It's the best documentary I've ever seen before in my life. Nietzsche be like, nah, you're an idiot. Nothing, <laughs> nothing can be the, you know what I mean? So like he has the yeah. haterade in him too. He's that, I don't know. That would be, you said non-sports as well. So that would be mine. Yeah, no, I like it. That's that's something outside the box. That's why I wanted to do these with you. All right, final one. When we look back on this time, quarantine, coronavirus, what's the one thing that you think people will associate this time with the most, whether it's a person, an event, anything? A person or an event? Well, outside of the obvious, which is the political situation that we're going through. Yep. Um, I think... Like Tiger King, the last yeah, yeah, days. yeah. Tiger King. I I think it's going to be a combination of well, I know. I actually I think it will be the last dance because the Tiger King has already been forgotten. How how often do you even hear people reference Tiger King anymore? And maybe the movie comes out that changes something, but nothing I think will knock the last dance off. We'll ride the last dance out until sports returns, and then it's the return of sports. So when we look back at the time that we spent quarantined and we remember the time we were basically told to stay at home, that's what I think we'll look at more so than anything would be the actual. Yeah, that that, that would be mine. Definitely. That would be. Yeah, mine. Last no, I think you're right. There's there's not that many options. I think the last dance would have to be it. So Aton Shander, follow him on Twitter at Shander show. Uh, he's everywhere. SB Nation. Uh, Fox Gambler, Fox 29. Aton, you're the man. I know you're busy. I appreciate you making uh, some time. For Anything you. for you, brother. Happy to be on with you, Ryan. Keep up the great work. All right, man. Thank you. You too, man. Take care. Ah, oh, man. Great stuff, as always. Anytime I get a few minutes to talk with Shander. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Be sure to follow him, like we said, on Twitter at Shander Show. Be sure to follow myself at Ryan973ESPN and follow The Fix at The Fix underscore podcast. Hope you enjoyed this episode. A uh, lot more still to be done here on The Fix. Plan on recording another episode here in the next few days this week. Hope you enjoyed it. Stay tuned. Until next time, everyone, this is another episode of The Fix. I am your host, Ryan. Peace.